<clears throat> this Vermont Prairie Quest is for the mouth. Also to our activities on the back of the, the, our flyer um, and also to you see them listed back there. We also um, want to give uh, to the children's, there we go, to Helping Hands, which is the, the shell we have in the back in the hallway to provide food for families who can't afford and also to for the babies that need um, extra stuff that their families can't afford, like diapers and whatnot. In fact, I've got to run some this afternoon. Also, too, um, just remember the Bible. We have the uh, outlines of how you can read the Bible in a year, and it's really broken down in a way that makes it much more enjoyable, and uh, you don't have to worry about missing a day or two. And then also, too, as we begin our service, let's consider what God has done. He says, when I look up into the night skies and see the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you have made. I can't understand how you can bother with mere human man to pay attention to him. Let's stand together as we sing and worship. Great is thy faithfulness for we look forward to starting a new year. <clears throat>
join me with this morning's prayer confession. Almighty God, it is so easy to give up and throw in the towel because some of life's issues can overwhelm us. It is in those times we admit that life is bigger than we are and we realize we need your help in all we do. We confess the times we think we can handle life on our own and kind of neglect you. We admit there are times our pride gets in the way of depending on you. There are other times we don't come to you because we feel guilty. It seems the only times we come to you is when we have exhausted all our feeble attempts that don't get it done or that we are overwhelmed with no other place to turn and we use you as our last resort. Forgive us for the lack of belief that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Lord God, help us to trust your promises and live confidently in you all the days of our lives. Through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am telling you this so that you will not stray... I am telling you this so that you will stay away from sin. But if you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God. And he is the forgiveness for our sins, and not only ours, but all the world's. Our guidelines for living this morning is also from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Thank you, Scott. This time we'll continue to praise our God and stand together and sing. Thank you. 
you to rope and Steve if you want to. You don't have any? Okay. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we can share together in which we can worship you and give glory to your name. We thank you that we can give back a portion of what you have given to us. You're so grateful for all that you've given us, Lord. Bless the gifts of these givers in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>
come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, today we come to you with great joy in our hearts to be able to come before your presence and give thanks and gratitude to you. I want to praise you, God, for your love for us and how much you care for us. Every hair on our head is numbered and every even cell that we know what is going on in our body. But to that we give you praise and thanksgiving for God because we know that, Lord, life can get hairy and can get out of control. We thank you, Lord, especially for our government.
Steve? You don't have any? Okay. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we can share together in which we can worship you and give glory to your name. We thank you that we can give back a portion of what you have given to us. You're so grateful for all that you've given us, Lord. Bless the gifts of these givers in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>
come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, today we come to you with great joy in our hearts to be able to come before your presence and give thanks and gratitude to you. I want to praise you, God, for your love for us and how much you care for us. Every hair on our head is numbered and every even cell that we know what is going on in our body. But to that we give you praise and thanksgiving for, God, because we know that, Lord, life can get hairy and can get out of control. We thank you, Lord, especially for our government and for what is going on. I just pray, Lord, that as it goes on, Father, that we know that you're in control. And there's purposes behind everything that takes place. And so we're at peace, Lord, in our hearts, even though we see things that maybe raise our eyebrows or get us nervous. But you know, God, what is going on, whether it be the Russians or the Chinese or our own government and the domestic situations that are going on, that you're in control and we know it. I pray for our government. We pray for our leaders. We ask you, Lord, to work in their lives. Bring them a consciousness of what this country really was made to be and how it was formulated and even give them wisdom to see what was written in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and what is good and perfect in your will. I pray, Father God, especially, too, for our own city and our own county. We pray about the new uh, police chief that needs to be chosen and other important staff people that are leaving the department. I pray also, too, for fire and EMS and those who protect us every day. Father God, we pray also, too, for those troops out in foreign countries that are protecting us and also on our streets. Again, we had two police officers shot this Saturday, Lord, and we just pray that you bring them to full and complete healing and that they can get back on duty. And we pray the sadness for the family uh, that this young man did this and shot himself. We pray for them and the struggle that they will go through. Father, we go through also to some of the things that are happening in our own congregation around the world. We think of the families of all the people that this past year that have lost loved ones. And the holidays is particularly a tough time. And I pray especially for the families that have lost loved ones in the past couple of weeks. I pray uh, for those who woke up and found their spouse dead. And for those uh, who lost a loved one due to COVID. And also, too, um, again, for one who lost their life because of cancer. And I just pray for his wife, Martha, coming fresh from that death and as we bury him next week, that, Lord, you will be with that family and bring them comfort and strength. I pray, Father God, too, for um, other situations that we have, Lord, um, in families and marriages that are difficult situations right now. I pray also, too, Father God, for those in our congregation that are sick and those who are going through some difficult times and weakness and with COVID, Lord. I pray for Cheryl and her pneumonia, and I pray for Lucille and for Kay and for Mary and for Joyce. And also, too, Lord, for Don, who's recovering from his uh, knee surgery. Lord, just bring him mobility and strength and healing. I pray also, too, for a request today for Brad, who's going to be deployed in Africa in January. Be with him and be with his family while he's away and keep him safe and bring him back safely. 
I pray also too, Father, for um, those who are struggling in addiction, for people that we love, who we know uh, battle every day, and we just pray that they'll keep themselves um, sober, Lord, and that you watch over them for Ryan, for Jordan, for Dave, um, for Eric, and for Ricky, and for Mitch, and these people who struggle. And now, Father God, also that um, as we hear from your word today, speak to us. We need to hear you. We need to hear what you have to say and help us to execute in our own lives, Lord, what we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. The other day I was just searching through the channels, doing channel surfing, and we were also going to watch uh, 60 Minutes, and I believe it was on 60 Minutes, where this man by the name of David Grogan's, who is a Navy SEAL, who is labeled as the toughest man in the world, who did 17 hours worth of pull-ups and did all these physical things. But he has become also a speaker on discipline because of the things that he went through in his life. And he said, one of the things that keeps people from growing is not willing to face difficulties and trying to lose the, use the way of comfort to get out of it. He says our society has grown to be very comfort-seeking rather than willing to face up to the difficulties and go through them, which brings growth in our lives. And that we leave those comfort zones so that we can accomplish what needs to get done. Well, today we are finishing up with Jude. It's been a great book, but Jude's voice, along with First and Second and Third John, are basically the same voice. And that is that we need to face the battles that we have, especially theologically, in the church, so that the church can be pure, and that we can do what is right in God's eyes. And that we not run from the battle, but run into the battle. This is where market share in America today has been lost by the church, because the church has compromised and continued to be willy-nilly about the law of God and the word of God. And Jude comes to us today and wants to bring us comfort. He wants to give us courage. And he does that by encouraging us by two passages. One, in the beginning of this book, which is in verse 1, where he says, We're sanctified by God the Father and preserved by Jesus Christ. And so there's nothing that can knock us off if we keep our eyes on Christ. And then at the end again, in verse 24, at the end of this chapter, in the end of this book, he says, Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He wants to assure us so that we can contend for the faith this is what his concern was, is that the church let its voice be known and to speak out. Now, last week we talked about how Israel dropped the ball on their faith. Rather than facing the giants in the land of Canaan, after they sent Caleb and, Je uh, uh, and Joshua into the land, and there were ten others, and the ten others came back, oh, they're so big, we can't do this. When God had promised that they would do it, and Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it with God's help. They dropped the ball and left the faith and instead wound up wandering and dropping a whole generation in the desert because of their lack of faith. He then talked about the angels who rebelled against God and went over into our dimension and had sexual relations with women, the beautiful women in the Israel. 
And now they were wrong in hell. They were so condemned that they already are in hell. Whereas the demons, the other angels, are running around the world. They are already in hell, seeking, getting also punishment because of the disaster thing they did. But now when the end comes, they will get even further judgment. And then finally, the devil. In the argument that he had with Michael the angel about finding out where Moses was buried. Because he knew, the devil did, that if they found that place, they'd make a shrine of Moses. And they'd worship him rather than God. And how Michael would not allow that to happen. Well, today we begin and we continue in this tirade that basically Jude has. Of what's going to happen to these people and how they work? He said, but they speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they are corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain have run greedily into the era of Balaam for profit and perished into the rebellion of Korah. These are all spots in your love feast, and they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by their roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up with their own shame, wandering stars for them and reserved for blackness and darkness forever. Here we have Jude now speaking about this group. And he adds three more illustrations to us about these brute beasts who are saying things that are not true. And not only are they corrupting the people around them, but they're corrupting themselves. We see this at times in the church where people say things that they don't even understand about the theology and they trade the glory of man and they try to get the glory of God for themselves. But Jude has an answer for them. Notice who he picks out. He says, woe to them that aren't like Cain. And what he's talking about, people who go to church and who come to church, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ and they believe their goodness is going to be good enough to be able to handle. This is the problem what Cain had. When he was jealous of his brother Abel, why he murdered him, because his gift was not acceptable. You see, Cain killed Abel because Abel offered a gift that was from the animals and the shedding of blood. And he didn't get it when Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, God covered them with the animal skins. And why he did that so he could shed the blood and already declare that the blood is needed for the forgiveness of sins. Cain did not listen to that and did not obey that. And what he thought is all his good works and his bringing the fruit that he's hard labor that could save him. But he was missing it. The same thing was true with Balaam, who used profit out of his work as a prophet in order to make himself well. And we see that in our day and age where there's all these evangelists making money and profit and living extravagant lives rather than the life of Jesus. And they're taking it in for themselves and feeding themselves. And like he says, they're like shepherds who are feeding themselves and coming to the love feast. And then finally, the rebellion of Korah. Korah, who spoke out against the authority of Moses and began to question Moses and where he was found himself to do wrong. And so God took care of him. And we have to watch what we say about authority. Not only the authority in, in the church, but also the authorities that are appointed over us in government. I know there's sometimes that I entertain certain jokes about 
maybe the president or about the vice president or about a congressman or whatnot. And I have to question myself, Dave, is that really doing right? Are you not respecting the authority? I know we have questions of them. We can ask questions and we can question their, what they're doing with their authority. But I have to be very careful that we don't do it as a mockery to the office of which God has given to us. And I've been convicted about that. And here we see that of what Korah did with the authority that was above him. We've got to be careful what we say and what we, how we speak about it. You see, this is the whole thing that happened with Korah. And what we need to be careful of the words that we choose and how we choose them. In the way of Cain, of course, we need to help people to realize that they're not saved by their works and being good. They are they, they go to church for their whole life. And I had a woman in my first church that gave her life to Christ after going to church for 70 years and believed that just her goodness was going to save her and finally realized that she needed Jesus Christ's grace from the cross to save her. You see, the Bible tells us that we need to be careful about being friends with the world and that we don't lose sight of what God wants from our lives. And the words we use, even Jude, speaks about Michael the archangel not condemning the devil but leaves it to God's work because he knew it was not his place to say it and here we have it he then begins to use metaphors about their lives and what they're waiting for them he says that at the love feast they're like spots what he's really saying is they're like jagged coral in an ocean that can rip the hole open and cause us to sink or when the feast is coming, they don't fear of taking part of it because they feel they deserve it. They are clouds like we have here in Kansas that lately we haven't had any rain. How many days have we had clouds, but we've not gotten any rain? And that's what he says. These leaders or these hypocrites that are sneaking into the church are saying, and they do it without fear, and they have no water in their clouds. And that late in the autumn, the, the trees that they claim to be do not bear fruit. They don't bear the fruit of godliness and patience and gentleness and self-control that Paul speaks about. And then he also talks about them being dead and not bearing fruit, but they need to be pulled out by their roots. And then they're like raging waves that make a lot of sound and a lot of foam, but they don't do anything. And he also says they're like wandering stars. Not like the constellation that God has put up into the sky that is consistent and pure and good. But instead, what they do is that they shoot around and cause all disruption but haven't done anything. And here we see, as we hear the word of God speaking to us, that they're rebellious hypocrites that can easily creep in to a church or into the body of Christ, even ministry. Or even the teaching that they receive in the ministry can be wrong. I was so blown away. I was talking with one of my colleagues and I was telling them about an experience that I had with a group of pastors in this area of the country that are in our denomination. And how when I shared with them that I share the gospel and give people an opportunity because this is one of the only times that people face their death is when there's a coffin here. Or when we're in a funeral home. And I share the gospel and talk about, about thinking about death. And this person reminds us, I got roasted because of that. And I was surprised because what a greater opportunity can you give people who don't think about death ever. And here they are faced 
with their death, their own demise, and give them a chance, an opportunity to hear what's at stake here with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I share and I context it because, you see, we don't like to think about our end. We don't like to think about dying. We don't like to think about, I know people that didn't want to think about retiring. And now they are retired and they didn't think much about it. And the only thing that they have is they have no pension. They've been given a 401k that they could match on. But instead, they took more money out than they put in. And they used it for that brand new spanking pickup truck when they were 25 or 30 years old. And now they have nothing to retire on. I knew a pastor who was a wonderful guy. But he opted out of Social Security that pastors could do. And now he's struggling to try to make me ends meet because he had, had to move from a five bedroom a parsonage to a one studio room apartment because he didn't think about it. And the same thing is about death. And it broke my heart to think that these men who are pastors and ministers of the gospel were not interested in preparing people to die, really. But what Paul, what Jude says is they get their comeuppance. Look what he says. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute the judgment on all who are convicted, ungodly deeds which they have committed, in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they have mouth, great swelling words, Flattering people to gain advantage. You see, Enoch walked with God. And he walked so close to God that God took him. He did not die. But God raised him up. He was only 365 years old. He gave birth, his wife did, to a son by the name of Methuselah. That was the oldest man in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says that his name means, and when he's gone, it will come. And what he was talking about, Methuselah, the day he died, that's when... The Noah, who was the great-grandson of Enoch, began to fill the ark because the rain was coming, the judgment was coming upon the earth. And Enoch preached in order so that he could help people see their ways. But there came a point when God said, okay, that's enough. I'm done. They don't want to listen. And so God took Enoch. He served his purpose for God, and God took him. And brought him out of this earth to be with him in heaven. And his work was done. I don't know if you've ever had it where you've had somebody who you really enjoyed or somebody that you knew. And God took them for no apparent reason. I remember when I was in college, there was a great evangelist that went from college to college. And he was uh, with Navigators and his name was Paul Little. And if you want to ever read some good books or you have people who are new Christians or people who are wondering about Christianity, you can get it on um, a, a Libris, which is a used book place. But they have these books called Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe. And they're great books because they talk to people about what the Bible says and what we need to believe and why we need to believe it. And there's good, solid answers that he would present. And Paul Little did that very well. Well, here Enoch is now the one who God took after he proclaimed the judgment that was coming 
that the time of Moab because the world was such a mess. And here we have it where the confidence is in, his confidence was in God. The Bible says he walked with God. In fact, the translation that they use in the Septuagint was that he pleased God. Not only did he walk with God, but he pleased God. And as he walked with God, his relationship with God was so intense that there was beauty and he was such a good example to him. I know I oftentimes wrestle with that with my own life. And I say, how good? How much do I really please God? Am I really walking with him? Or am I looking once in a while to him? But am I really living for him every day? Here, Enoch was a good example. Because he bore the fruits of righteousness in his life. We read those fruits of righteousness that Paul laid out in Galatians chapter 5. And we see the love of the spirit, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the self-control, the faithfulness. All those things that he had developed in his life by his walk with God. And Jude here speaks to us and says, this great opportunity in our generation is the way to walk the way Enoch did. And don't be afraid to speak about and to talk about what you know about what God is going to do. There are a lot of people who are afraid of that, but we are given the confidence in this passage, in this whole book, by Jude, that, that our confidence can come from God and that we can see this great, great grandson working to bring about the change in society. But once God saw that he was done with Enoch, Enoch was taken. And God's plan sometimes is difficult. I mean, how many times do we think about a loved one who's taken and we're not ready for it? And we think we don't understand, but God has his plan already for that person in their life to be taken out of us. We see it again with Elijah. We see it all throughout the scriptures and through the saints, how God used them for a particular time and kept them by his side. You see, God simply works in his time and not our own. And how easy it is for us to question God at those times, but yet God has his purpose and plan. And when he's done with our work, he brings us home. That's the joy we have. But now here, he says to us to remember. Jude wants us to understand that there's going to come opposition when you stand for the faith. But you, beloved, remember the words in which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. You see, this is so true. Whenever you go to start speaking about Jesus and the people don't like it, they're going to start saying things about you or putting things, stabs in your back to your friends. We saw it with Paul. Back in Acts chapter 16, as he was walking through, and a girl who had a spirit of divination, she was demon-possessed, and she could tell fortunes, and these guys who owned this little slave girl were making a ton of money, good buck off of her. And when Paul came to her, and that she was exercised, and she came to know Christ, and no longer had that ability, they threw him in jail. They brought up all kinds of things against him because he ruined their industry. Again, that, ha that happened in Philippi, and then it happens to him again in Ephesus, 
where he comes upon and they were worshiping this god Artemis, the god of fertility. And here he is. He comes along and he preaches and he tells them that this god is no god at all, but he's a piece of metal. Well, the silversmith gets upset with him, causes a riot, and gets Paul thrown in jail. Why? Because it affected his business. Whenever we walk in the light and we change people's lives and the the atmosphere around us changes, there are some people who are just not going to like it and they're going to be angry at us. Billy Graham, when he was first in the ministry and when he went over to Britain and was preaching and the moral change and that everybody needed Jesus Christ and how the brothels and stuff needed to be closed and all that, they were not very happy with him. In fact, the media tried to get him to stumble. And Billy Graham, for one, never got, took a ride in a car alone with another woman if not somebody else was in the car because he knew that he never wanted to put on any air of any sin in his life. He also wouldn't drink. All that and the way he set up integrity in his office and his business where he started the evangelical financial support where they would go over his books and he would only take a minimum salary. And all the money he made off his books went back into the organization to bring people to Christ. And that um, financial accountability, everything was done above board so that the world had nothing. And yet still, they tried to throw a girl in the car with him and take pictures and slander him. They also tried to set him up with a woman in his room, uh, hiding in those days. And yet God protected him. The same thing happened in Lynchburg, Virginia with Jerry Falwell. Tragically, his son went off the deep end. But Jerry Falwell was put on a news in the Chicago Tribune, I believe it was. And they put a picture of him drinking and a picture of him with a woman of ill repute. And at the bottom in the little fine print, it said, this is not the truth. But they did that to smear his character because most people would not read the print. And so Jerry Falwell had a, a thing against Larry Flynn, who was the owner of Hustler and I believe Penthouse, and had a, 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 a lawsuit uh, against him for defaming him and throwing his name in the mud. And then $1 million for that document, of that stories that, that were happening in the world. And he was trying to bring down Jerry Falwell because the moral majority was impacting People who were buying his magazine. And then we see it in our world, don't we? People who don't want to accept Christ, they'll slam him. Kathy Griffin, comedian, gets an award. She gets up in the award and says, no, a lot of these people get up here and they say they're thankful to Jesus. I'm not thankful for Jesus. I did this myself. And this award is my God. And afterwards, the media said, don't you feel bad that you offended so many people? She says, I'm not feel bad at all. That's their problem. Or comedian George Carlin, who himself got up one night at 71 years old in one of his comedy acts and made fun of Christianity to think, he says, that there's this invisible man living up there who's keeping his eyes upon us and that we're going to be judged and we're going to go to a special place and that he's going to take care of us and that he loves us and he's going to forgive us. He says it's all a bunch of bull. 
See, this is the world. And sometimes we get sucked into watching this stuff or listening to this person who doesn't believe at all and is turning our heads. And it's tragic when we let them in and let them filter our lives. I remember Sandy and I, when we first were married, we were first church, and we liked to watch the show Mark and Mindy. And at that time, you remember, um, Robin Williams was Mark. And how fun it was to watch him. So we went and bought his album thinking that his first album would be a great, funny comedian that would be clean, and we put it on and we only listened to the first track for about a minute. And every other word was the F-bomb. And everybody was laughing but us. And we took it and threw it in the, the, the $10 album. We threw it in the trash because it was junk. This is the world that we're living in. And one of the things I encourage parents and also as grandparents, your grandchildren, what they see on TikTok, and what they hear on TikTok. And a lot of that stuff is anti-God, anti-Christian stuff. And even wind up hurting themselves by many of them. And see, the word of God here talks to us, you know, and I, I want us to understand that we're not to speak harshly or badly against Almighty God. We've got to let people know that. We want to make them aware of what they're doing, that this is real. God Almighty is real. But the second thing also, too, we have to watch ourselves of who we're listening to and what we're buying into in our culture and what our children and our grandchildren are buying into that seem to be a little funny, maybe off-color, even mock Christianity. And really it's working against the call of the gospel that we're 100% behind. And so then Jude comes to us and he says to us, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the this is our job, he says. This is part of the contending of the face, number one, that we build ourselves up in this holy faith, that we take the word of God and truly trust it and put it to test every day. That we begin, if, if you've not done it before or never read the Bible, start in Matthew, the fifth chapter, where Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount and take each segment and ask yourself the questions and listen to what Jesus has to say. And they're very powerful things that he says that makes us accountable and look at our relationship with him. And that we keep growing in this faith. And notice what he says in praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some charismatics say that, well, you need to be speaking in tongues. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that when we pray, that we just don't become flippantly and go off a list of things that we've got on our plate. But when we come before the Lord and with scripture, that we come deep inside of our hearts and ask those tough questions 
and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal who we really are. You know, the Jahari window with what people see about us and what we see about ourselves and what we all see together. And then there's this fourth box that's there is our subconscious that we don't see and our friends don't see. And that needs to be revealed. And we come to the Holy Spirit that the Bible says searches the heart of God. When we pray in the Holy Spirit, we should ask the Holy Spirit that searches the heart of God, search our heart. Like David says in Psalm 51, he says, search me, O God, and let me see any wicked way in me. Because there are ways, even no matter how spiritual we try to be, no matter how close to God, we still with our sinful nature have stuff inside there that needs to be pulled apart. That may cause us later on down the road to sin if we leave it there. And that we ask the Holy Spirit to go deep within our soul and clean out the garbage that's at the bottom of our sinful hearts and make us new and bring us alive in Christ. And that he makes us totally new by digging deep within our hearts. That's what he's talking about. And then he says, keep yourselves in the love of that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we start loving God, not only in deed, but in our actions and in our thoughts and the way we live. You see, that was the beautiful thing about what we just talked about Enoch. He really pleased God, not only with his outward actions, but with his heart. We look for God's mercy in doing that because it's not always easy. But yet he's the one that gives us this eternal life. We have it in our hearts, and that's grows it when we expose it to the Holy Spirit and as he dwells it into our hearts and we live a new life. And then he says, with that in mind, look at the people around you. Have compassion. Making a distinction about these people. Who is out there that I know that's a real nice person but yet has not developed their life in Christ? Who is dying and still going to hell and that they're willing to open up to us. It's amazing the people that you run with and the people that you know. I know a guy that said to me the other day, don't come back here because he said, I don't believe in that Jesus stuff. I don't believe that once you're dead, you're dead. You're wasting your time coming to visit me. I even tried. I said, you know, what about emotionally? You're talking about approaching that. No, nah, no big deal. Don't bother yourself. Don't come back. That's what he said to me. See, and people sometimes need the harsh reality, and even the harsh reality of life doesn't change them. It breaks my heart. It's funny, though, you know, how God sometimes brings people to that point to face themselves to face their foolish thinking. I was thinking about that this week, you know. Here we had two legislators who wanted to defund the police. And then both of them in the same week got carjacked. I wonder about them now if they still want to defund the police after they were carjacked. You see, God will back off sometimes. God doesn't have to nail us with his anger. Sometimes he'll just say, you know what? You want to play with that? You want to play with that fire? 
here, I'm gonna back up and let's see how well that works for you. And then it blows up in their face. God will do that. If he wants a soul, if he wants somebody to change their thinking, he'll do that. So that's why God comes to us and says, build yourself up in the faith. Stand up for what is right. Be the moral penetrator of your society. Be willing to, in this moral decline, that we can be the agents of change. This is one of the greatest, I think, since the first century of the apostles going out into the world, that we have an incredible, exciting time in this generation to make an impact for Christ and that we can really help change the society. But we need to edify each other, that we do not need to become part of this society, but we need to be conformed not to the world, but be transformed so that the world can see there is a greater and better way and that we encourage each other in the church and that we exhort one another to go out and be that agent of change because that's what's gonna save this society. Tragically, again this week, another suicide. And, and, and you, you know, you can't, I still, to this day, as many of these I've seen, how a young person, 19 years old, can take their life thinking it's so bad and that this boyfriend break them up or whatever. But you see, it's because they lack the substance of the gospel and the truth of accountability that they have to make in eternity, that they don't have the experience of harsh life. And when life has been so good to them and handed to them on the platter, that when things just don't go right, everything falls apart and they have to kill themselves. It's sad. It's ridiculous. And it should never be. But that's why I'm grateful for Christ touching my life. And I bet you you are too. Because look what holds us together. You know, I've been a Christian for 54 years. And to me, it amazes me that God has kept me from my stumbling and destroying my life and has kept me in the ministry to be able to do this, what a privilege it is. Some 44 years, and yet it's not been me doing it. And, and, and Jude says it so perfectly here, because we can't keep ourselves in our Christianity. We can't keep ourselves from stumbling because the temptations are so great. That's why Christ's blood needs to wash us from our sin, and he's the one that keeps us from stumbling. Look what he says in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves. Oh, I'm sorry, it's the next verse. Yeah, it's him. Now to him, Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now think about that. That Christ, all these 68 years, has been by my side. And for 54 of them, he's walked with me or I've walked with him and he has taken care of me from slipping and falling. And even times when I fall, he's forgiven me by the mercy of Christ. And that he presents 
me at that day faultless before Christ. And I've sinned. I've been a sinner. I still am a sinner. And yet he presents us because of Christ faultless and before the presence of God's enormous glory. And notice what he does it. He does it with exceeding joy because he presents us from himself who saved us and brings great joy to not only heaven but to God himself. And it's not just joy, it's exceeding joy. Oh, I, you know, when I read that, I feel such joy in my heart that I'm saved not by anything I've done, but because of what he's done and how he's kept me and preserved me. And what joy overwhelms my heart. And notice, in, in, in Jude builds this doxology. And this, if you ever want to read, write a doxology, this is the way to do it. He talks about all the things that God has done for him. Notice what he's done. God has kept him. God presents him. And he presents the glory of God with great joy he presents us to God. This is the way it is. And then he says, this is why he did it, because he's God, our Savior. And he is the only wise God who chose us. And that the glory and majesty belong to him alone, because he has dominion, He's seen everything we've done. He's been over everything we've done. He's moved us in the direction he wants us and that his power has done that. And notice, it's just not now he's doing it and he is doing it now, but forever. And you see, this wholesomeness comes from him carrying us through life and bringing us safely to the other side. And it's the keeping that he does to us. In all the circumstances that we go to, it's the wonderful thing that he gives us is faith and prayer and hope. But then we have this that God does for us every day. You see, this is the lesson that Jesus taught Peter at the end, just before Jesus ascended up into heaven. And this is the thing that we need to understand and that I can't keep myself in my salvation. I'm, I won't be able to do it. But it's God who keeps us. And Peter didn't understand that until the end when Jesus saw him by the last time by the, the lake. I was just looking at a story about a father who had a little boy. And they were walking near this lake and there was a little slope that the little boy, as they all are, they like to dare the thing. And what he was doing is the father was had his fingers out like this, and the little boy was holding on. And as they were walking, that little boy constantly was tempted, and he would slip and fall down, and his fingers would slide off, and he'd go, and he got his shoes wet, and he got his hand wet. He slipped about three or four times. And then he said to his father, Daddy, would you hold me? And as they walked, the boy still tried, but as he slipped, the father had his grip on and held him from falling into the lake and from falling on the ground and hurting himself. And you see, that's what we 
need to understand is that Christ is the one who keeps us, keeps us in our salvation so that we can live forever. And that Jesus said that to Peter. See, he said, Peter, the reason why I allowed Satan to test you and to sift you is because your pride and you thought you could keep yourself. He said, but Peter, as we saw, you failed me three times. You denied me, even when you were by the fire with a little girl, said to you, big guy Peter, who thought you could keep yourself strong in me. You were with him and you denied me. Now, Peter, I'm going to pick you up. And I'm going to carry you and to take you places that you never wanted to be. But guess what? I'm going to hold you and you're going to make it. And that's what he's done for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for this wonderful wisdom that your word gives us from Jude. And Lord, sometimes we stumble and we fall. And we miss out on your glory. But I pray, Jesus, today that we learn this wonderful lesson from Jude. That you are going to keep us. We can't keep ourselves. Help us, Lord, to grow in our love to you and, and to grow in our trust for you. And to continue to give ourselves over to you holding us. And help us to speak for you, Lord. To the people that we love. The people who try to think that they can earn their way to heaven. Help us to speak to people who don't understand what's at stake here. That Jesus, you can use us as your mouthpiece. And that our love for them can show through. Jesus, thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. And let's close in singing our song. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit empower you now to live for him. Amen. Jesus.